When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And here we are talking about a fantastic victory over Spurs by five goals to two. Shame it could have been six if we buried that third penalty as well. But nonetheless, three points, well earned, a fantastic day out. And we're only one point behind with two games in hand. Isn't that wonderful, guys? Hang on a minute. Something's wrong here. Oh, yes, we would have had this, wouldn't we? And that's what I was expecting to talk about, except for just one or two or three or four or five mistakes. Um, in fact, you could call three mistakes, the referee, the referee's assistant and the VAR, actually. Um, at least, well, I suppose at least none of our players got elbowed in the face uh, halfway through a match, at least. <laughs> could have been worse. <laughs> Poor old Andrew Robertson. Anyway, Yes, of course, that isn't what happened. We were robbed. And when I say robbed, and we're talking on a, an epic scale that I've never seen before. And with my uh, special guests that we've got in today, we're going to discuss that very matter. In fact, we already have been off air. And those guests are, well, we've got Peter here at, in co-hosting duties, but we have Andy Bass back and we have Alan Dodd. Welcome, boys. How are you all doing? Uh, being better, Russ, <laughs> what can we say? Yeah, very yeah. frustrated. Very frustrated. Very frustrated. Just putting it mildly. Yeah, I mean, Peter's not even got his video screen on because he's got some issues with his his laptop. But I'm, I can almost sense the fury on his face, <laughs> even though we can't see him. I'm standing off. It's just there's nothing wrong with my screen. I'm just like I'm just so angry. I was just like I can't be on. Yeah, and I mean that what I've just described there, the, the way the game could have been, it literally could and probably should have been like that. I say could rather than should, because there is always a chance there might have been a slight variation on how things pan out if one thing does happen rather than doesn't. First three don't bother with their second goal anyway in that situation. Exactly. And when all said and done, we dominated the game. We were by far the better side. All the stats are in our favour. And in essence, we won the game. We got the ball. We didn't just deserve to win and not finish our chances. We did finish our chances. We scored three goals, legitimate goals, in my opinion, this is obviously up for discussion, but I've got a feeling there's not going to be much argument on this. But anyway, we have three legitimate goals, in my opinion. Uh, we should have had penalties as well. And Spurs can score their two very well-taken goals from their um, their star players. But in the end, that wouldn't have mattered because we were the dominant force in this match. Um, well, we were the dominant force in terms of football. We weren't the dominant force in terms of the outcome because that was down to referee Stuart Atwell uh, to a small degree, the guys at can, the no surname of the line, yeah. and uh, of course the VAR officials, uh, whose head of operations for that day was Michael Salisbury. May you hang your heads in shame, everybody uh, concerned with that. Um, we'll go through it. Probably, I think what we'll do, we'll have a, a general discussion for a minute or two, and then we'll go through it in terms of chronology. Um, first of all, I mean. You're all spitting feathers. I could pick any of you, and you'll be itching to talk on this on this one. Uh, let's go with Andy first, though. Let, let's let's start with you. The overview of this game, what you thought of it in terms of um, the impression it gave, uh, all these bad decisions. It's 
bordering on the obscene, isn't it? It's bordering on the ridiculous. Uh, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life watching football, uh, where so many decisions in terms of percentage and quantity have gone against one team over another. And it's for me, it bordered on the on the suspicious. And I'm not saying I'm not accusing anyone of anything. We've got to be careful what we say. But when you've had so many key match changing decisions go against you in one game, you have to start questioning what the hell is going on here. At best, it's just institutional bias. That's at best. And I like to think that's all it is. But my wife has been suggesting for quite a few weeks, quite a few years, actually. No, they're paid, blah, blah, blah. You can't say that kind of stuff, obviously. Um, but she keeps saying that, and I keep going, no, 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 no. It's getting harder to argue against it when she keeps saying that, and she's got this told-you-so look on her face. And I'm thinking, how do you argue against it when it's that ridiculous? I, I like to think, as I said, it's just bias. But what what do you think, Andy? Would you go along with, with the notion that it is just a chronic level of bias within the game now? I think there's an element of subconscious bias. I think there there is there is in football, um, but for me, for me, it's just vast incompetence. I just don't think that some some of these officials are good enough. The game move the game moves quicker now. Players players are faster. The action is is quicker. I'm not sure that. Some of the officials have, uh, can can keep up with it. Although, actually, in this game, the officials were in very good positions to judge. Certainly, on the two penalty, the the two main penalty shouts, not necessarily the first one, but the but the Matoma and uh, and Dunk ones. That you know, Atwell was in a was in an excellent position to to see what was going on on both occasions, uh, and he should have made a better decision. Um, but you're right, Russ. It's extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it where you've literally just had every single thing that the Albion were trying to do to, you know, to, to get the advantage in that game. And as soon as they as soon as they did it, it was it was taken away from them. And you're right. I mean, you know, we did win it. I mean, I know there's been some people saying, oh, but there's like some poor defending for like, you know, particularly the second one, the first goal by Son was just bloody brilliant. I mean, what can you do? No one's saving that. You've got to be really good to do that. But it, it, it's it's moot because we we like you said we scored three goals. Yeah, we we actually scored. scored. We actually scored three goals. Only one of them was allowed because it was almost. There was no way they could get away with <laughs> with this with disallowing an unmarked player um, heading in from like about five, you know, three yards out. Um, they literally was like no way you could possibly um, disallow that goal. Um, but the most minor, I mean, you know, I, I'm struggling to get the words out. You know, those two goals, Mitoma, Mitomar and and um, Welbeck stroke Alexis McAllister, legitimate goals. They were great goals. And um, two really nice bits of skill completely taken away by by marginal well, well by incorrectly judged marginal decisions and um and like yeah quite often like you have games where you go oh we should have had a penalty year should have had that we all know what football fans are like we you know, we do it ourselves i do it quite a lot you know myself where you sort of like have a go at the referee but these decisions were just inexcusable i mean 
there simply wasn't enough time for the broadcasters to go through every single decision. Yeah. And because the, and these were these were not close. You don't have to look at these for very long to see that the decisions that were were made were incorrect. And the the one that particularly grates with me is is the Welbeck goal or McAllister goal, whatever you want to call it, because the, that was the one decision the idiot in the middle actually got right. <laughs> he gave the goal. The goal was awarded. Everybody went, trotted off to the centre circle. No one seemed to object. Oh, so I think there was, I think it was, might have been Romero. One of the Spurs defenders was just, you know, claiming, but you know what they did. They're like that all the time. But, um, but that, well, actually, that was the one thing that idiot did get right all game. And then some other idiot in Stockley Park says, no, no, that's not a goal. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I'm just fuming. And the context of the game, Spurs are a direct rival for us in the, you know, the, the, the squabble for, you know, Champions League, but definitely Europa League places. And it was, you know, it was important for us to get a result of some sort out of that game. And they have just been handed a massive advantage now. I think we're out of the, you know, sadly, I think we're out of the Champions League race now. I think we're too, we're too far behind because it's going to be difficult to catch United, United and Newcastle. But even like putting us like that many points behind Spurs now, and, and you know, and I, fit, I think fifth is on. You know, I think Europa League is possible. But it's incredibly difficult now. And that could have a big impact on our off-season and our ability to keep players, perhaps who might want European football next year and if we can't give them the quality of it. And it's not because we haven't earned it. We have earned it. Or, or we may have earned it. But this just this just makes it more difficult. I'm absolutely furious. And I, I completely get the outrage that every single Albion fan has felt about this is it corruption I would say no I just say is it incompetence yeah I just I I just think the standard of refereeing in the league at the moment isn't that high um, it may be because VAR is confusing their decision making process hmm. um, now that that's a pro- now that's a prominent thing maybe they're maybe they're making decisions differently Um Compared to how they 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 did previously, but I you know I don't really care. I just want the decisions to be right. Just want mm. the decisions to be right. You know, I'm, it's just, yeah, and they're not. Ultimately, this is the problem, isn't it? Um, too many decisions are wrong, and they'll, they'll talk about how they get high percentages right and they'll rectify things, but. It can't be the case because I'm fed up. I'm fed up to the fucking back teeth yeah. for talking about referees. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about, at the very least, just saying they had a good game. I thought Brentford and Bournemouth, they were reasonably fine. Um, I want to just mention that in passing, but I don't want to talk about the refs. They shouldn't be the story. But over and over again, they are, particularly where it comes to the Albion and particularly this season. And I'm sick to the back teeth of talking about it. And it's not even as if it's marginal bits and pieces these are blatant, blatantly obvious, blatantly easy to rectify mistakes. And as you said, the one time they got it right, they overturned it. They even managed to get that bit wrong as well. Um, now, Peter's has got his hand up, was itching to jump in here. Uh, because we haven't got him on uh, video, we're just seeing a, a, a emoji hand going up. It's, it's very cute, Peter, very lovable. Uh, what, do you, <laughs> what do you want to say anyway? <laughs> um, I agree with a lot of what Andy says. My one 
thought is I'm more inclined to go with slight institutional bias, to be honest, rather than I think if you're purely incompetent, there's no way you get five decisions all against the same team. You'd make That's them wrong both ways, I think, personally. Yeah. I think it's, I honestly genuinely don't believe that any decisions go the same way if it's Harry Kane. Can you, I can't honestly look at it and say, if Harry Kane takes that ball down on his shoulder, that a linesman 30 yards away puts his hat put his flag up, or if, if Haaland does it, or if Rashford does it, or if one of them do it, or if, you know, I can't believe that they wouldn't have seen that penalty for Harry Kane. If, judging by some of the penalties he's got in the past against us, that one up there where he basically jumped, and Lallana jumped, and he just stood there and like basically tried to injure him, and then somehow got a penalty. You know, he's like... Well, that wasn't even in the box. No, exactly. The box. <laughs> We're denied. I mean... Don't get me started on that. I am still, you know, livid about that day. It was... It, it, as, as Andy said, it was a huge game between two teams who, you know, for us, we were having an amazing season. It could be our best chance ever of Europe, or it is our best chance ever of Europe. It might be our best chance going forward as well because of the, the poor seasons Liverpool and Chelsea are having. And yet we might lose out because of... And it, I mean, when, when it's a Villa game or Chelsea or, or, or Palace, sorry, or Leicester, where we were denied one blatant decision or maybe two, you can kind of think it might just be incompetence. But I think when... Five decisions like that. Well, even six if you count Perisic on um, Brosh when he should have been sent yeah, off. That was a break card. If you yeah. if you ask if you look at those, uh, you can't honestly tell me that if Dunk does that to Kane, he won't be sent off. He probably he almost certainly will. The referee yeah. would couldn't wait to get his red card out of his pocket if that was that way round. If Dunk pulled back Kane in the area like that, like he like Dunk was pulled back by Longley, absolutely going to give a penalty all day long when he's six yards away. And I, you know, you couldn't really complain because if you if you pull someone back by both hands. Then, yeah, I mean, it's just, we, we just absolutely battered them. I mean, they've admitted to one mistake, which is bad enough because yeah, that would have been at one all and we'd have had a really good chance of McAllister's penalty taking to have gone 2 1 ahead at a crucial time in the game, which could easily have left us, meant we won. Um, but yeah, they've actually cowardly and not admitted to all the other mistakes, which were equally dreadful. I mean, Matoma was clearly, I mean, I think Ian Wright had a match today too last night. Clearly on his shoulder, the lines would even signals to the part of the body which actually is okay to use. It isn't a handball, which is bizarre. Yeah. Um, and I sit at the MX watching linesmen miss miss stuff from two yards away when the ball literally is a foul right in front of them, and they don't flag for it. And yet, apparently, even though this is not not totally conclusive on replays, Darren can from thirty yards away can see that that's handball. I yeah, it's it's just bizarre. I just. The whole thing's so frustrating, and it's just one or two of those decisions. We still could have had a really bad match in terms of decisions and comfortably won because we had so many go against us that it's yeah, yeah. And my concern is the blatancy with which this seems to have gone in one direction. I, I agree with you, Peter. I, I think it's um, institutional bias, um, whether it's conscious or subconscious, yeah. unconscious, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's just too many decisions that come in favour of the big sides. And um, I was talking to a Spurs fan the other day, and uh, sorry, a Man United fan and, and uh, today, and he said, yeah, we, we don't get some decisions sometimes. We do get some other times. I said, yeah, but who don't you get the decisions again against? It's not going to be against smaller teams. It might be against other big teams because, you know, that's Sophie's choice, isn't it? Which team do you, do you commit the bias towards then, uh, you know, if there's two big teams? But, but you know, it's big versus small very rarely it goes our way. I'm thinking back to the last time we had a significant match-changing or potential-changing decision go in our favour. So not where we've had a uh, an outrageous decision overturned and we've been awarded a goal we should have done 
or a penalty we should have done or something like that. But we've got away with one. The last thing I can think of is the DS Sanchez incident where that was a nailed on red card. How the hell he got away with that, I don't know. He shoemarkered him and um, he got away with it, I think partly because it, it did end in a goal. So uh, they they at least got the the consequence they were aiming for. Um, I can't think of anything since then. And what was there, that? One, City could have had a penalty early in the season against us, but then had a dodgy penalty and a dodgy first goal to yeah, make up so, for it. So well, Holland body checked it, which yeah. by the way I've seen endless free kicks given for less than that yeah. since. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, Peter, that's probably the... hilarious. A Tottenham fan tried to use a video from that game we played there when the Kane penalty won, and. He tried to use a video of our goal, which could have been disallowed for a foul, as proof that it's like swings and roundabouts. It's like, well, you've got, from memory, they got the, the dodgy came penalty and then Trossard should have had a penalty that game. So we, again, had the worst of the decisions. And the only other one I've seen mentioned online is the stupid and one against Bournemouth when he went shoulder to shoulder with their guy and he could have pushed him over. But then, on the other hand, I mean, it was far less a penalty than, say, well back to Old Trafford when the guy basically shoved him in the back. So yeah. I, I genuinely don't can't think of a decision that we've had where you you could say it was a really poor decision overall this season. Whereas yeah. there's so many. I mean, we've had apologies for was it Palace, Villa, um, this game, and then also the Liverpool Cup game. There's yeah. also a blatant penalty at Leicester. We should have had we should have had a number of decisions against Man U in the league when we we did go on to win at least. But there were some blatant you know decisions that went against us. Brentford yeah. last weekend, although the referee did okay, I thought they were lucky not to get a red card. Uh, for the, th- the penalty of a three all, and also lucky not to give a penalty away afterwards as well. True. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I thought the ref was. I thought ref was rubbish against Brentford. We should have had a penalty at the end. That's clearly that's clearly handball by their defender in the depths of injury time. We should have had an opportunity to win that game. And that was the guy who could have who should, could have been sent off in the previous incident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just garbage. Like, yeah, like you say. Russ, yeah, just sick of it. Every every game, I hate it. I hate it. Mm. Hate having a go at referees. I know, you know, they've got a difficult job to do, but they do it so bloody badly. I'm just, yeah. it's just, you know, be better, get them right. Well, was brought in to make it easier, wasn't it? It was basically brought in to improve the chance of them getting the right decision. I actually don't think it's done that. If anything, right. they they put the bar so high. I mean, how on earth any any clear and obvious error? system doesn't think Matoma getting his foot stamped on is a, a clear and obvious error is beyond me but apparently that's not a clear and obvious error according to uh, VAR Well um, Alan let's bring you in because you've probably been talked <laughs> out so far <laughs> Passion's running high Alan uh, what, yeah. what's, your, uh, what's your thoughts on things? Uh, I mean obviously a load of that's been covered but I mean would you go along with it generally speaking? I would generally go along with it I mean I was fortunate enough to go to the game so I mean, the yeah. first thing I want to say, you know, we touched on this. This was an extremely important game for, for the Albion and Tottenham. And you've got to commend uh, Deserby. He prepared the team really well. I mean, we played, we were fantastic. I mean, we dominated the game. Um, the Tottenham crowd were pathetic throughout until the end. Uh, they were very, very quiet. We subdued them and we, we totally outplayed them. We, uh, I, I think Kane, I can't really remember apart from his, his goal, I can't remember another chance that he had. I think he had, I think he had some kind of a half-hearted header in the first half. So that they did a really good job on Kane. So they're putting that to one side. So, you know, the way I see it, I mean, I've, you know, wanted to go back in history. Referees made mistakes. 
it was not really on television or if it was on television it was very difficult to see replays so therefore it was like you know if you're at the ground you saw a mistake it was something you chatted about in the pub got angry about it and then that was that was the end of it I mean now with technology really VAR has been brought in as a response to the fact that everything's digitalized it could be shown immediately from every single angle and you can see it pure black and white so that's why VAR is there so now we've got a question if you like the relationship between VAR and the referee but when the referee makes a mistake VAR should be there to say okay well look we've now had an opportunity to look at this it's clear that you've made a mistake but something is going on between the referee and VAR where they don't seem to want to overrule certain things I actually uh, um, I recorded um, uh, Sky Sports um, during the during the match match time, uh, where uh, Jeff Stelling basically immediately reacted as soon as he saw uh, the Matoma incident, the the foul, and said that's a penalty. Now, if he can say that immediately from seeing it. And then everybody else in the studio said it. Now, why can't VAR see yeah, it? Yeah, well, these are people with no skin in the game. I know, I know his son's a Brighton fan, but I don't think it really counts. But you know, and, and the other people are calling it as well. Chris Sutton's calling it on BT Sport. Even Peter Walton called it. Even, I mean, Peter, Walton. even Peter Walton thought it was yeah. a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter then Walton and... makes Dermot Gallagher look controversial. That's how much of referee's arses he is. Yeah. And then the same thing. The same thing happened uh, for the the pull on dunk shirt again. As soon as they saw it, they said immediately it was a penalty. Yeah. Immediately. Um, I watched the Sky highlights, um, and the first incident where Longley handballed it, the commentator immediately said that looks a bit dodgy. That looks like handball. So essentially, the the commentator saw it straight away and thought there was something odd about that so you know, if he can see it in instantaneous time why aren't var picking that up and saying and then calling down to the referee and saying oh there's a there's an issue here so this is why i can't quite get in my head what's going on between var and the referee yeah there's nothing wrong with var var whatever you want to call it there's what's wrong is with the application of it with the use of it and i think there's two problems here i think first of all it's being used as a tool to just escalate the, the problem. So we've talked about this before on the pod. You know, it's just another outlet for them to get things wrong, either deliberately or by accident or in, through incompetence or whatever it is. That's one of the problems. And uh, the other problem is it's just it seems to be um, just a, the, the, there's, there's the pressure elements. And um, Richard, friend of the show, was talking on, on our pod squad WhatsApp group about um hierarchy which i think is an interesting point he's talking about how salisbury i think is a relatively young ref isn't he and atwell is a senior ref he's been in the game for quite a while and there'll be various other scenarios like this there is a pressure or an unsaid pressure probably not to undermine the senior figure so they're sitting in var and they're looking at it and they're thinking what they're thinking whatever whatever it is and if they're on the fence about something for example they might feel disinclined to call it out, to, to tell a, a more senior figure official, look, think you got this wrong. Would that be a thing? I think it might be a thing. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I think the fundamental problem with VAR is that you have essentially the same pool of people 
now on an expanded basis, working in both fields, and it's all under one umbrella. We've seen how much, even when they're retired, how much referees like Dermot Gallagher and Peter Walton have continued to just um, back up, defend decisions rather than actually calling them out, with some exceptions. To be fair, Keith Hackett and Mark Horsey were both out in complete favour of the Albion. I think um, Hackett said that it was awful and disgraceful, I think were the words he used to describe the decision-making at that game. And even Mark uh, Mark Horsey said something similar. Now, I know Horsey's had some issues with uh, the PGMOL on account of the fact he was told, he told the public that um, he had been told to change decisions in his report or change information in his uh, his post-match reports, which um, they denied and nothing went further with that. Make of that what you will. But there must be pressures brought to bear, whether it is a hierarchical thing or whether it's um, an institutional thing, then th- there might be pressures involved. If you separate the two things, if you just have VAR as a separate entity, a separate body run by another body, whatever it needs to be, that it isn't accountable to the referees. They probably know each other, but, they, but they're not colleagues in in the general sense. Where you don't need to be a referee to see whether those decisions are correct or not. All you need to do is have training. Obviously, you need to understand the laws of the game intimately. You need to be up to date with all the information. You need to probably have training on all the tactical stuff, on all the interpretation, how to use the... Obviously, you know, the communication strands to communicate with the refs, all of that stuff. Of course, you need to be professionalised, but you don't need to be a referee. Any of us can see that. You talked about Jeff Stanning. You talked about us watching it. Yeah, we might be biased in our views on some things, but we look at those those decisions from Saturday. Very, very obviously, um, two, three, four, maybe even five of those decisions are without question. And they're certainly edging in our favour in terms of, likelihood of being the right to the wrong decision and for me that's just not acceptable i think it's time that we had a separation in the var system a lot of people are calling for it to be thrown out altogether i don't think they're going to do that so i think it's a moot point of sorts to discuss that side of things i think they're going to persist with it well if they do they need to damn well sort it out as you said andy on on a, a one of the messages a day or so ago um, you just you just want the referees to be getting stuff right, and VAR's there supposed to be there to help them. They're not going to see everything. That's understandable. VAR's supposed to be there to spot the stuff they don't see, guide them in the right direction, reach the right decisions. And they're not going to be hundred percent. Of course, they're not. Even then, but this was zero percent for me at the weekend, Alan. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, I, maybe maybe we go through each individual individual incident and yeah uh, we'll do that yeah, but, yeah. but uh, i just really just focusing on the the mitoma penalty i really like which i know it's not going to happen at the end of the day howard howard webb's going to sit down with uh atwell first and he's going to discuss with him and say okay well you know what did you see how did you arrive at that decision and he's going to actually say explain to webb what happened at that point in time and why decided not to do it. And then how Webb's going to go to VAR and say, okay, what was going through your minds at the time when you were running that as a replay? And what did you discuss with Atwell at the time? And how did you come to conclude that uh, it wasn't a penalty or you didn't feel as though you were, felt that you had to push for a, a penalty decision or to be to be made? Uh, and really, I'd like to see, if you like, those 
that discussed and published because that, yeah. that would be very enlightening and interesting uh, to see how it works. I mean, you know, going back to this institutional um, bias, I mean, the only thing I can think of at the moment is really is that, you know, is there some kind of feeling that, you know, they're, they're if you like, thinking that Tottenham is some way a superior in some way. At the end of the day, if you looked at Hoiberg, when uh, when that happened, Hoiberg's immediate reaction was he kind of put his hands up and put his finger to say, no, 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 it wasn't. So, therefore, Atwell probably saw that. Now, is he kind of taking the view, oh, well, that's a Tottenham player, they, they're more important than the Albion, so I'm going to take notice of that. Whereas if it was the other way around, and it was something we had done, maybe they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily take notice of it. Could that something, so, something be going on there? Because the same thing happened, uh, I think, you know, obviously with the Matima goal that was disallowed. Again, one of the defenders was striking the arm and suggesting hmm. that, that the ball touched his bicep, which when you saw on the camera, it hadn't. So again, that Tottenham player was trying to influence, uh, you know, the thinking uh, behind it in some way. Yeah, I mean, this is Man United syndrome, isn't it, actually? Man United are the worst of the loss of this, but on a sliding scale, the other big clubs are as well in terms of influencing. Yeah, you're right. I think there's a an unimposed bias, I think, where they, they will just reach those conclusions of their own accord. But there's also the imposed bias, which is caused by the crowding around of referees and that sort of thing, which is where Man United are in their forte. Um, I. I agree. With it. I think it's an interesting point, Alan. I think it really is, and um, it shouldn't be the case. But I do think it is a factor. It must be a factor. There's a reason why this bias is occurring, or this 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 partiality or incompetence in a certain direction is happening on an ongoing basis. There must be. It's definitely not because of influence of their crowd, because their crowd, crowd was shite at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is, it, is it because Atwell turns up at like, Tottenham to this fabulous stadium and he's taken into a room with his nice cheese board and he gets a nice fat some fancy cheese? Well, I think he was in there too long, wasn't he? he, <laughs> and, he uh, you know, at the end of the day, he just feels like he's got to, to, to give Tottenham a... Give Tottenham the favour or something. I, I really don't know. It's uh, Alan. He didn't even turn up on time. We're all waiting for two or three minutes for him to come out. <laughs> now, you know what I was thinking <laughs> post match. Yeah. Um, that three or four minute delay might have been. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, but I mean, that was something to do with technical equipment, apparently. But yeah, no, the point is, he, you know, it, there's an expression "better late than never" in terms of Atwell turning up late onto the pitch. I think that could never have applied less than it did to him. <laughs> Never would have been better, really. Yeah, you know. always the best <laughs> yeah. I'd rather the proverbial Doris the Tea Lady uh, had, had refereed the game because he would have had uh, a fairer, probably, uh, well, certainly would have had a better refereeing than that. It was awful, but it was it was across the board. We'll go into the details of each individual incident, and I have got quite a few things to say about Hoiberg and also Larsley, or whatever his name is, um, who, by the way, for the, um, the Mittimer disallowed goal, he came over and started padding his his hand just below the sleeve, going, that's a handball, that's a handball. This is the guy who had handballed it a few minutes earlier. Yeah. Just, oh, well, no, quite a bit earlier. But anyway, uh, in the uh, sixth minute or whatever it was, outrageous. Anyway, shall we go through it incident by incident, guys? Let's, let's talk about this. So it started off with the handball, which I think was about six minutes in. So what happened there was we're on the attack. I think it went to a corner. We played the corner in, header, blocked, um, partial clearance, edge of the area, Solly touches the ball. It bounces up and down. He's running onto his own touch. And as he does so, 
the aforementioned Longley um, sticks his, his fist out and guides the ball away from its its path, which is where Solly had in, intended to tap it to try and make room to either make a cross or win a penalty or have a shot or whatever he was going to do. We didn't get to find out because the ball changed trajectory. It was seen by the people around him who were putting it, who the Albion uh, players were claiming for a penalty there. And a couple of consecutive fouls occurred. And in the end, Spurs got a free kick. Um, to me, that's a blatant penalty. Uh, did he intend it? Probably because he was facing towards where it happened. Um, whether it was intended or not, it affected the trajectory of the ball, which has probably affected who knows to what degree, but it certainly affected um, Solly March's ability to make use of the loose ball from the clearance, and they get away with it. It's very early in the game. Does that mean something? It's too early in the game. It shouldn't do. Um, I can't see why that wasn't given as a penalty. Um, it wasn't scrutinised, as I think somebody, I think it was Andy, mentioned earlier. Uh, or no, Andy, uh, sorry, Alan said uh, there was hardly enough time to mention all of the incidents that occurred. They did very briefly touch on it. They touched on it on the Sky Highlights. Um, but to be honest with you, uh, there was so much else going on. This was a byproduct, really, of, of what happened. But it, it was um, a blatant penalty for me. Uh, would you agree with that? Or am I being too firm on this first instance? Well, I mean, from my point of view, actually, it's almost the most blatant of the lot. I mean, I it's not yeah. absolutely no question to me it's deliberate handball. It's it, He moves his arm towards the ball. It's not a case of accidental. There's no... He literally moves his arm towards the ball. And it's only... They didn't show it much today. They didn't, As Alan said, they didn't show it anywhere on the other highlights and that sort of thing. It's only once Albion have blown it up and, like, zoomed in on it in their video that you can actually see it. And Longley clearly moves his arm. I don't know what he's thinking, but it's not like we're going to definitely going to score anything like that. Unless he, you know, kind of sensed that VAR was going to have a nightmare or something. But yeah, I mean, I can understand why Atwell missed that one. Can't understand why Salisbury missed it. It was absolutely blatant. You just zoom in, you see it, it's a penalty. No question at all. I don't understand. It's actually arguably the most blatant of the lot once you kind of look in, you zoom in on it. Because it is, it's not subjective or anything like that. It's not debatable like a foul or where the ball hit. He clearly moves his arm towards the ball and adjusts the, the, the trajectory of the ball. It's not, it's not accidental. No way is it. It's completely on purpose. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Peter. I think it was. Um, Alan, what's your thoughts on that one? Uh, well, I agree with what Peter says. I, yeah, I was thinking about, I always think back to uh, the, the famous or the infamous uh, Manchester United game where they got a penalty after the whistle was blown. <laughs> And if you compare that handball that Mopay did where the ball came over and basically he was just jumping up in the air and his arm was slightly up and it kind of struck his hand as it went over. Well, I don't think any, any Manchester United player would necessarily have got it anyway, particularly. And yet that was deemed to be so egregious that they, they had to kind of give him a penalty after the whistle had blown and compare it to that. So it's just, it's just, it's mind boggling actually. Um, I don't think it's been given enough coverage, is it? Uh, and, 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 and also, you know, the fact that the players did, you know, the Albion players were all signaling to the referee that there was an issue. So if the referee had seen that, then surely that would have gone up to VAR for them to take a look and then they would have looked at it and then they would have seen it was handball. So. That's not seen know. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's enough visuals on that. We didn't really get close ups because they didn't, the technology guys didn't go into the detail, but. There's enough angles to see that's clearly a handball. All you need is a closer view of it 
through the editing process uh, on TV to see more clearly that what we could see anyway, which is as a handball, um, plain and simple for me. I just think it went under the radar because of what else happened afterwards. And we got, by the way, we got an apology. I think it was the same day or the next day from, I think it was Hal Webb from the PGMOL, um, uh, to apologise and to say that we should have been awarded a penalty. Anyway, this is the first of them. Peter, you think it is. I think it is. Alan, you think it is. Andy, dare I... (laughs) Dare I be audacious enough to assume you think it was a penalty as well? Yes, clearly a penalty. Although yeah. it came after the disallowed goal, where we go through the penalties first. No, oh, it, this, was the first yeah, it was the first uh, thing. The penalty, the disallowed goal was at 1-0. The penalty was at 0-0. It was 0-0. Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought yeah. we were talking about the Mitomar one. No, um, no, the, no. The first one was a penalty. Yes, of course it was. Yeah. But, yeah, and, yeah. and that led to um, us not getting that. Uh, Son then scored the very good goal, to be fair to him. A yeah, uh, player who's been out of form, and he scored one of those sort of goals that um, he was used to scoring before. And fair play to him, it was a good finish. Yeah, I don't yeah. think there's much we could have done about that goal, to be honest. There was a question mark about whether Veltman could have closed down more, but I think that's being a bit harsh, to be honest. It, when it's yeah. right on the corner like that. That was only going in if it was a world-class strike. Yeah. I mean, Son had so much to do from that position. Mm. I don't think you can really say, you don't give away world-class goals. No. <laughs> the strikers score them. And, um, you know, you know, in the in the you know, the interest of fairness, let's just say that was a brilliant goal. Mm. And um, Son's to be commended for such great skill. It was a really good, really good goal. No arguments for that. Yeah. So, so we had these incidents. So we should have been one nil up, or at least with the chance of one nil up from the penalty. Then Son scores with what was against the run of play. I think. I think we were playing. The, we were the better side. There wasn't a huge amount in it. We were one nil down, and you think, oh, this is annoying. It could be just one of those days. Then we have the Mitama disallowed goal. Can't remember the timeline, but it was um, in terms of how long into the game. Uh, this was um, obviously yeah, it, it's the one where the ball was played into the box. Mitama's running beyond his defender. The defender, I think it's Romero, but I'm not sure who it was. Someone's pushing him in the back, not very heavily, but he's pushing him. Uh, And that affects his body movement slightly. What then happens is he then connects with the ball, knowing that he's losing his position. He sticks the top of his arm out, his shoulder, whatever you want to call it. It's sticking out on an angle to be able to guide the ball into the path he needs to in order to bury it, which he then does. Now, that sounds, from what I've described, as if there could be a handball in there, possibly. What happened was he scored. The referee, sorry, the uh, lines, linesman, the system ref or whatever, started tapping the top of his arm in the sleeve area to indicate it was a handball, which is interesting because that's actually a legal part of the uh, of the arm from a handball or non-handball situa- uh, uh, point of view. Anyway, the, yeah, the point is he's he's saying it was a handball. He flagged for it. So the gold is then disallowed, subject to VAR. Then we look at VAR, and VAR shows that the ball makes connection with the, the sleeve area of Mitama's uh, very top of arm, the area generally around the armpit. Essentially, the shoulder and under the arm, where the armpit is, is the area deemed to be legitimate. And if it's not below the sleeve, unless I'm mistaken on this, and Andy, you might come in with some other contrary information. He's nodding. (laughs) Um, My interpretation was that 
if it's above the sleeve, it's okay. Um, it looked like it touched the top of his sleeve. Anyway, he buried it, and because the linesman had given it as an as a, as a infringement, it had to be clear and obvious to be overturned. And VAR did deemed that it wasn't clear and obvious, and so they upheld the decision to disallow the goal. That's what happened. On my point about, on my opinion point there, Andy, back to you, sir. <laughs> well, I actually, in preparation for this, I thought, well, let's, let's, let's look up the actual law before we all start spouting off about something that it turns out we don't know anything about, which is you know, normally what happens on this on this podcast. <laughs> um, oh, <you> know. <laughs> so, um, How dare you, sir? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> okay, so, I'm, yeah, so here, here we go. Handling the ball. For the, this is from the, the FA Laws of the Game 2022-2023 uh, PDF from the FA website. Uh, for the purposes of determining handball offences, the upper boundary of the arm is in line with the bottom of the armpit. Not every touch of a player's hand stroke arm with the ball is an offence. Uh, and then on the following page, there's a big, a big graphic clearly showing, delineating which parts of the arm are considered handball and which, which are not. And you're quite, you're quite correct, Russ. It hits him, it hits him on the sort of, on the, on the shoulder, on the shoulder in line with the top, top of the sleeve in, in line with the armpit area. It's not an area that is deemed by law to be one that um, commits um, is responsible for a handball offence. Hmm. Now, let's give the linesman the benefit of the doubt. We all, like we say, we all know, like on on the field, these decisions can be right. So, okay, he's flagged it. He's flagged it. Smitamar doesn't really celebrate. And um, but then, obviously, it does have to go to the check. Now, when you look at when you look at the um, at the video footage, you can't see it touching hmm. any part of his. Um, that that is you know that is described in the, in the FA rule book. It's clearly it just clearly he glides in, he gets it with the top of his chest, stroke shoulder, and then a brilliant bit of skill to put it past Larice. Yeah. Um, you know, well, it's a word clearly. All that the, the VAR guy has done is he's just gone with. He's just gone with the on with the on field decision to back up to back up the official and not wanting to do it. And I tell you what, get rid of this clear and obvious thing. Is you know, it's like well, it probably wasn't a handball, but he's given it. So is it really? I'm not. I don't think I can really overturn it. Use your eyes. I don't know what he's looking at. We're all looking at the same things that this guy, that this guy is. It's obvious to absolutely everybody that is that most. You know, everybody that has made a comment on it publicly in, in papers and on various podcasts and stuff that that it didn't t- that it didn't touch his arm in in a in the sense that it's deemed a handball offence. It was a brilliant goal, and they've just stolen it from us, and that's an absolute disgrace. And, yeah. that, and Mike, that Michael Sorsby should be embarrassed by that, and Howard Webb should be embarrassed that one of his that one of his employees has just has done that. Quite frankly, I suspect he might be. Embarrassed, actually. I think he's, especially where it comes to the album, because he keeps having to make contact with us and make apologies. I think it's getting to the point where he's thinking this is really, actually, really embarrassing now. But uh, you can uh, you can make an argument to say that the part of his body that it touched should, by rules, um, be a handball. You could you could make that as a law if you wanted to, and it, I wouldn't disagree with that because you're using part of the 
the body that's slightly off the torso. I can understand that, but that's not what the rule is at the moment. So on the basis of the current rules, and I think also on the basis that I'm sure Peter will come in on this later on as well, the fact he's shoved him, he's already shoved him. So if we're not having the uh, the goal for the handball, well, we have to we have to retrospectively draw back to the earlier incident, which is a push. He pushed him, which leads to him having his body shape where it was. Small details, small margins, but um, even if you did have an interpretation where the upper part of the sleeve was a handball, which it's not, but if let's say it was, then that's only happened because he's been pushed anyway. Andy, yeah. I, I would say in addition, the the you know in, in the in the IFAB handbook with with the rules, there's, there are three diagrams: one a, a front on a front on one with the arm down by the side showing the area that's legal a side-on view showing that the area that's legal and then another front-on view which has an arm down in it sort of like if you're just normally standing there with your arm down by your side view but also with the arm extended in the way that Mittermar had his extended now I could I imagine because he um he had his arm out that might be why the ref the linesman thought he's got his arm out there and he's corralled it round so let's give him the benefit of doubt that might be the reason why he he raised his flag um but the manual covers this eventuality it still has that part of the arm as no handball yeah. um, and it's quite clear from the image and the and you know again 100 miles an hour on the pitch i'm, I'm going to give the line the benefit of the doubt that probably might be what it looked like to him but really when you could when you get to see it with the video footage, there's no excuse for you not for you not seeing it. There just isn't. Mm. Yeah, and may, might I also say that he miraculously saw that uh, what he thought he saw, yeah. and yet he, he missed stuff at much closer range uh, in both halves of the game, which uh, would have helped us if if he'd have been consistent. Um, I, I agree with you though. Yeah, I think the manual does still. You know, it's been fine tuned, and they had to keep slightly tweaking it year on year there's different instances instance uh, instances occurring where they've had to keep adapting the the rules reinterpreting fine tuning so here here and now talking about this now we're talking about a situation where these finer nuances these finer details are being ironed out and clarified in more and more detail as you said ifab's handbook still stipulates an over overarching Point that that is not handball under the current laws, and therefore it was given as handball, but it's it's a clear and obvious error yeah. uh, by the linesman, effectively yes. uh, by the referee in in association. Alan, I I, I believe it was a penalty. I've got a question. I've got a question actually. Um, you think it's a penalty? Just, yeah, I've got a question. Uh, on the first thing, it was a fantastic call. I mean, basically, we, we kind of we, we recovered the ball hmm. and uh, recovered the ball. McAllister picked it up and he looked up and he played a superb ball into Mitoma who made a fantastic run. It, it was a beautiful goal. But the question from I want to ask really is, what do you think of Mitoma's reaction when he scored the goal? Because if you actually put the full sheet, it doesn't make you celebrate at all. The goal. He immediately reacts to the fact that he was gone, or the ref, the linesman had done something, and he didn't. He didn't kind of, if you like, 
get angry and almost like dart to the referee and touch the part of the, the body where he felt the ball hit. I'm just wondering whether that has any kind of influence to it because, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't kind of run away and all the other players around him didn't kind of jump over him. He wasn't kind of celebrating the goal. Yeah, so, that's a good point. I think, I think and that's, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of the, that's the one area that I kind of feel could have influenced things a little bit. Yeah, and, the body language. Maybe put some doubt in my mind that maybe Madima may have felt they did hit. Yeah, the body Half language arm. is that of um, someone who scored an offside goal, isn't it? You yeah. see the flag go up and he knew it was offside and he looked at the linesman, saw the flag had gone and thought that was that, which I think was wrong because I, I don't think it was it was um, not allowed under the rules, but he may not have been sure of what the exact rule was, for mm-hmm. one thing. Or secondly, he just could have been very cynical about what he thought was going to happen from there. Um, I guess he didn't want to get too excited before a decision is made, there's that to consider as well. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Do we need to have... Because Mitterba's looking over, he's seeing the guy flagging. He must have also then seen him patting the arm. So could he not have... If, if that was a Spurs player, I'm sure Peter would agree with this, would he not have gone piling over to the lino and just said it... I'm pointing at a different point, pointing at where he said it touched him or exaggerating further up the arm onto the shoulder... You know, doing typical shit house, put pressure on the officials kind of stuff. Maybe that's the thing as well. Because uh, because as far as the referee is concerned, all he had was that he had the Tottenham Tottenham players surrounded him, pointing to his arm when they yeah. were pointing to a lower part of the arm. They didn't hit the lower. Yeah, so and whereas whereas the person who actually scored the goal didn't do anything, yeah. and uh, I'm just wondering whether that's uh, that influenced things a little bit. Japanese are too nice, aren't they, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I yeah. think I'm not sure it did. To I think the moment that he put his flag up, they were never going to allow it. Yeah. The moment the line put his flag up, it didn't matter what Matoma did. They were never going to go against. You know, it, although it looks on the replay to me like it clearly hit in the legal part of his arm, or you know, the top part of his shoulder sort of area. I don't think VAR, and that's and that's what frustrates me. I, I just don't see Darren Can putting his flag up if it's like Rashford or if it's Kane or if it's Haaland, and we see so many lines with you absolutely nothing and don't bother take flagging for it, even like obvious fouls five yards in front of their eyes. And yet this man, yeah, somehow saw that it was handball from 30 yards away. I don't believe he could possibly have seen that perfectly. So, well, so he's placing on him that far away rather than, and once he does the next decision, it, it probably isn't in the clear and obvious error one that VAR come up with. So it's like, so you're basically, rather than relying on a TV screen where you can see it close up, you're relying on probably the view of a man 30 yards away, unless it's really obviously wrong, which is part of the stupid issue with VAR. And also, yeah, I mean, it, it was a clear shove. The common sense in my mind would say that you say you get the goal. You say, yeah. well, it probably wouldn't, if it's 50-50 or you're not certain about the whether it hit his arm or not, well, actually, the guy shoved him. That caused him to move forward. And that's what if has any doubt in the whole situation. So common sense says, well, if you don't like it, Spurs, you shouldn't have pushed him in the back. Yeah, definitely. Because good old Darren was amazingly selective with his amazing vision, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Alan. Alan. Yeah, no, just for, um, I mean, as a minimum, they should have called uh, the referee over to, to, the, to look at the monitor. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, we all know how that's that would so, that, that's, that's, oh. that's, that's what should have happened. This is a recurring because, thing. I'm going to go through yeah. the whole podcast. How many decisions were looked at on the monitor? Zero. Yeah, because I would have gone through the rule book, or they should, should know the rules as as Andrews describes. They would have said, "Hang on a second, this looks this looks like it should be handball." But now they're actually challenging, if you like, the on-field decision that was made by the linesman. So that at that point, they should have said, I think you need to have a look at it on the monitor and you make the decision. And he should have gone over and looked at it and then he would have made the decision. Yeah, what decision he would have made, I don't know. But at least he should have gone over to the, gone over to the monitor and he didn't. It just That, that was the end. So, uh, yeah. OK. Again, this is, this is slightly worrying, isn't it? The, the, the disinclination to go to the monitor uh, to overturn something that's gone against us does again imply this bias thing, doesn't it? It's why I mean, I'm saying it. I'm not saying it is definitely that. I'm not saying it's anything worse than that. But all of these component factors do make things very difficult for the referees to argue against it being institutional bias at, at the least, because. Why wouldn't he look at the monitor? Why wouldn't Far tell him to look at the monitor? Because um, there's a, a prescribed narrative, isn't there? When you go to the monitor, more or less always, you're changing your decision. That's become the norm. It shouldn't be. And maybe it isn't 100% guaranteed to be, but it's almost part of the, uh, part of the whole facade, isn't it? The whole, yeah. the whole, um, the whole farce of, of the matter that you, you just, once it goes to the monitor, it has to be changed. That feels like the vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't, I, I, it doesn't I, always. It's not always the case. It's like that, though. I mean, there are cases that. when he hasn't no. overturned it, and, and it was it was a referee's prerogative to change the decision. Yeah, very and, rarely uh, they they stick with the decision. Oliver's done it a couple of times, doesn't he? Generally, but they normally will. I think it should be the opposite. To be honest, I think it should be there should be a lot lower threshold, but a lot more acceptance. The referee sticks by his decision. VAR should send the referee back to the monitor more often, even if it means longer time taken over games, that sort of thing. It should say, look, this is an interesting one. Have a, I'm not sure what you've seen. Have a look at it. See what you think. See what you think, and then make your decision based on that. And if you if you still think you're right, then go with it. Because you can even have a, a slight debate between them, couldn't you? After he's looked, yeah. and and actually have a moment's conversation between VAR and the ref after the refs looked at the uh, the monitor. Which brings us into the, a little bit onto a slight detour of like what we've been discussing on the on one of the, on the various WhatsApp groups that there should absolutely be separate VAR people, not mm-hmm. the normal referees who referee week in week out. It should be completely separate people. And I know they tried that with like Mason, but he's incompetent when he was refereeing and he was still incompetent on VAR, so that wasn't <laughs> much use. But I I don't even think they have to have ever been referees. They could just be. You don't need to be the level of fitness isn't needed that you need for a referee. You don't need all of that, you know, various sorts of things. You just need to know the rules and then be able to look at a computer screen and fast forward it, rewind it, look at it, look what happens. And yeah, so it's in. a and, Yeah, it's, well, it's a pretty yeah. It's it's a different job to me. Referees shouldn't be anywhere near it. They should be left to get on with their stuff. We haven't got that many good referees anyway. Why take them up on other days when they're not working <laughs> by sticking them in a VAR studio? Just train up people who are, you know, genuinely have, you know, have no revering, you know, kind of past or whatever, but can know the rules and can look in, you know, use the VAR screen. They will have no influence from other referees because they won't have been involved with them. You can have just VAR experts who do all of that sort of thing. And, yeah, it would solve a lot of problems in my view. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so here we found ourselves. So we were 1-0 down against the run of play. 
What then happened was that was emphasised more by the fact that uh, McAllister had a shot that was well saved. And from the resulting uh, build-up of play, Caicedo, all in the same phase of play, Caicedo had a shot which hit the post. A good save, unlucky shot, uh, two, two good efforts. Unfortunately, we couldn't score. We're still losing against the runner play at this point. Then Dunk does score a goal, and lo and behold, they've upheld it. They couldn't find a way of turning us down. Um, it was, um, I think it was from a corner, wasn't it? Unmarked, he, he arrived, he ran quite a way on a diagonal tra- trajectory and um, and arrived at the far post, unmarked, headed it in. Good goal, well taken. It's one of those goals that's good from a Brighton point of view, from an attack, attacking point of view, and poor from a defensive point of view. One of them, isn't it? And we yeah. won all suddenly. Um, and that, by the way, at this point, I should mention, is uh, his uh, a goal on his 200th Premier League appearance. It also means he's now scored in all six of his Premier League campaigns with us. So congratulations to Lewis, who was later in, <laughs> incredulous when he was thinking <laughs> about VAR, but we'll get on to that later. But well done to Dunk. We're one all. And I think that was the one where uh, we thought, OK, despite everything, we've still got the equaliser. We've still got what we deserve, at least, well, to some degree, parity. Great. Now we move on from there. That's what we thought. Um, in the aftermath of Dunk's goal, by the way, um, Roberto De Zerbi had an exchange with the opposition bench, which was shown on Sky's highlights. I mention that because, obviously, we're going to talk about the fracas later on in this chronology. But um, what had happened was... Prior to the game, according to reports, Stellini, who is the stand-in coach until the end of the season, who is a man uh, of, um, I think, he's he's a guy who's got a face that only a mother could love and most Mm -hmm. other people would want to punch. But that's another matter. But anyway, uh, hes I I can't stand the bloke. I'll get into why later. But um, he uh, apparently had suggested that most of the success this season was due to Potter rather than Deserby. It was Potter's team, Deserby just taken on something that was already working well. Something along those lines during his pre-match press conference. So when the teams came out and the coaches go over and exchange pleasantries and whatever before the game, there weren't too many pleasantries between Deserby and Stellini. In fact, it was a very, very Italian exchange, wasn't it? Lots of animated gestures, lots of hand movements. Deserby was basically telling him where to shove his comments. And he, you could see him pointing at him several times and then pointing at his own chest and saying, me, as in it's my team or something like that. Um, so that that was the background. Then we had this scenario where Dunk scored, and in, I think it's in the aftermath of that, He's gone over to the bench and he started pointing his fingers at the Tottenham bench. He's clearly made his point at that stage. That hasn't been covered anywhere else that I know of. So I wanted to make sure that was referenced. Then we got to um, the after, uh, basically to half time, and as I said, no one was elbowed on the chin, so it wasn't like the Arsenal Liverpool game, which was nice. Um, I, I've got to, got to say that was ridiculous, and. Given how crazy that was, an assistant referee elbowing a player on the chin, which I've seen several angles. He definitely does that. He puts his elbow up. I wouldn't call it violently aggressive, but it's very, well, it's very aggressive in one sense. Purposeful. Purposeful. That might be a way to to describe it. And yet 
what's everyone talking about post weekend? They're not even talking about that extraordinary scenario in any great detail. Other than right, fresh from our elbowings to the chin, we're back, refilled, refueled with anger as we talk about the second half, which was even worse than the first half from a refereeing <laughs> point of view. Let's get into it all, shall we? So uh, let's have a look. Um, first of all, right at the beginning of the uh, of the half, there was a scenario where Romero had an exchange with Mito, as I'm calling him for short, Mitoma. Um, it was hard to see on the TV coverage what that was, and in the ground it was hard to see because it was on the other side of the pitch. Uh, he looked like he checked his run, um, and then he said something to him because Mitoma got irritated. They faced each other up. Nothing much happened from that. Anyway, just an incidental comment, but just to mention that Romero is a shithouser, basically. Um, then Steele saved well from Perisic with one of Tottenham's only other dangerous attacks, apart from the uh, the two goals. And then, of course, we had the Welbeck goal, which was an excellent goal, very legitimate, very well taken. Um, he had the ball, he laid it off to Solly, received it back in the inside right position, did a brilliant little check back, didn't he? Um, uh, with with great footwork to cut inside, had a shot with quite a bit of power with his left foot, took a deflection of what I thought was off the defender from where we were sitting in the standing in the stadium, went in and it was given, but it was then going to VAR. And we then discovered it had gone off McAllister, and we then discovered that it apparently hit his arm, even though it didn't look like it hit his arm. Now, I've not seen any conclusive proof anywhere that it hit his arm. What happened was it went into his, um, towards his hip. It either hit his hip or it might have hit his elbow. It might have hit his forearm, but it didn't look like anything other than his hip. There was definitely a significant trajectory off of his hip towards the goal. It didn't make much of a difference. Would it afford the goalkeeper as opposed to not? Who knows? I don't know. The important point is there was no conclusive evidence that it went off his arm into the goal. It was at point-blank range. You could see him make a slight body movement to try and avoid it hitting his arm or hitting him in general, actually. So I think he thought it was going in. But it was then given with no conclusive proof as a handball. Um, Thoughts on that, gentlemen? Who wants to go first on that one? Well, uh, just yeah. like I said at the the outset, for me the most outrageous, the, uh, the most outrageous one of the lot because they actually got it right, and you're meant to have clear and obvious, like this ridiculous notion of clear and obvious error. Like so, apparently the Missamar handball was not a clear and obvious error by by the linesman. The the awarding of this goal apparently was a clear and obvious error by by the referee. I had a pretty decent view of it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. You you can you can see it. You can actually see the gap between the hip and between the ball and and the elbow, which basically you know McCullough is making his body as small as he possibly can. He's he's turning he's turning away from the ball, it hits his hip and and slightly falls to the reason it goes in under his goes in under his body. And if you you watch it in real time, just looks like a this looks like a goal. It's just it's an it's an, it's it's a flipping outrage. 
well actually gets right and some other prat decides it's not yeah i've, I've seen dogs scored by that before ridiculous. and they've always been given haven't they anything like that it's always been given because it's an incidental contact anyway and as you said there's no conclusive evidence to suggest that it did touch his arm I mean, the law, you know, I do still have the law here. I mean, like, you know, if it had touched his arm, then technically it would be, it would be considered to be um, a handball because it says um, immediately after the ball has touched the hand or arm, even if accidental, if the ball goes in, if that's the last body part that it touches, then it would be considered a handball. Which is a stupid rule in itself because um, you, you assist. I mean, it is a stupid rule. It is a stupid rule, but it is the rule. But it didn't touch his arm. You know, yeah. the, the, there was no conclusion. Like there was no clear and obvious area that you know from from the officials that oh they, they missed an obvious handball there. It did not miss an obvious handball there. Um, and yeah, again, the Spurs arms. Romero yeah, I mean, put his arm in the air and he was doing all the histrionics and, you know, the, the usual shithousery from Spurs, particularly from the Argentinians. They, they were all doing that. Again, is that an influence? Should it's, it be? It's just, it's just, it's just inexplicable from, from the, from the VAR official. Yeah. Well, but, Alan, yeah, if, it, if the Albion are 2-1 up at, the, at that point, which it, we should it, have it, was a, it was a different... Complexion on the game, completely. Um, and, for, and for me, it's the worst. I mean, but you, you can make an argument for if you want to argue that one of the others is the worst decision, you can make a very good, good, good case. But this was the one that VAR actually took away. Yeah, and on that basis, I, I agree with you. I think this is, in essence, the worst of the of the lot. Uh, well, 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 apart from the penalty. Well, we've got the next. We've got the next. The next two. Give, <laughs> give it a run for its money. But yeah, for yeah, me, yeah, for me, yeah, I'd, I'd say the penalty for me, and then this is the second worst. Alan, would you go along yeah. with that? Yeah, very, very, very quickly. I mean, I, I don't disagree at all. Totally agree. I mean, just from a fan, fans' experience. I mean, basically, saw the goal, goal go in. I was, I was, uh, you know, quite close to the. Down near, down near the touchline. It was a fantastic goal. Didn't really see anything wrong with it. Players celebrated big style. You know, the goal was allowed as they celebrated big style. We we're all celebrating, jumping up and down. So happy. And, uh, you know, celebrations. It was, it was really brilliant from a fan's point of view as an away fans. And then something kind of went on somewhere and it was VAR. It dragged on and on and on. Then bang, it was gone. It was just so disappointing. You become vaguely aware of it, then more oh. acutely aware, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In a gradual yeah. process. Yeah. Oh. So that's really what, what I wanted to say there, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, let's not dwell on that anymore because we've, we've discussed that. What happened next was the touchline fracas. So, so we'd already talked about what happened beforehand. We talked about Deserby having a go at them when we equalised. Then we had, I think, when we there was a free kick being taken. It wasn't the exact, it wasn't a, a key moment where it all kicked off. It just happened, I think. And, and by all accounts, what I've been told is Andrew Croft, who of course now is part of the coaching staff, was whacked on the back of the head somewhere around his ear by one of the Spurs backroom staff out the blue 
by all accounts. And that, of course, kicked a major fracas off. What happened was um, there was about 15 people, maybe more, involved. Deserby was quite animated on his side of it. He was doing a couple of gestures, pointing and accusing certain things, but he was also mainly acting in a calming down uh, role. Meantime, you had, on the other side, you had Cellini, who very bizarrely had, had made a very pointed, uh, well, it made a very clear point of just standing there, ignoring what was going on next to him. It's as if your house is on fire and you're standing there going, nope, it's just a warm day. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, we're just standing there. It was so weird. And clearly what had happened was both the coaches, particularly Stellini, had decided that they were going to detach themselves from what was going on in the effort, I presume, to avoid getting sent off and somehow to seem superior to what was going on around them. In the end, what then happened was the referee went over, consulted the linesman, Mr. Canigan, and the conclusion was that the referee decided to send off the two head coaches. And the reason for that, which was quickly um, communicated to the commentators, the press and so on, was that it was because they'd failed to control their backroom staff. These people are adults. Why are the adults not getting punished? You know, if, if um, a seven-year-old kills a five-year-old, there might be parental questions to be had on that scale. But when your 25-year-old son commits an offence, you don't go to jail for it, do you? So why the hell are these two guys getting sent off for that offence? They did, of course, continue their dialogue down the tunnel afterwards when they did get sent off, which was highly amusing. Um, I fully expect those decisions to both be rescinded, to be honest. I can't stand Stellini, but I don't think either of them should have been sent off, based on what I've seen. I think it reflects on how Atwell completely didn't control the game at all. He had no control over it. He didn't have any clue what he was doing. And it was just a kind of like, well, I've got to act. I've got no idea what really happened. He clearly didn't see, nor did anyone else see what happened with Crocs. And so he decided to go and send up the managers. And yeah, it was pathetic. And it's a, it's a, it's a basically a clear sign that he had no clue what he was doing all game. And he's a dreadful referee anyway. I mean, he is a referee that was it allowed a goal that basically went in the side netting or whatever, didn't he? So. I mean, it's oh, yes, I think you remember that, Peter. Yeah, I do as well. Watford, Reading, or something. Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah. If you're that bad at refereeing, then you're never going to be any good. And how on earth he's still, among other ones as well. I mean, it's entertaining that with this weekend, he seems to still have a job. Salisbury seems to be relegated to the Championship, and as a reward for the weekend, we get buddy Chris Kavanagh on VAR. <laughs> oh God, I'd say yeah. no, Chris Kavanagh. <laughs> I think there is a, there is a concern though uh, with Deserby that, uh, you know, the way he's reacting, I think as we kind of progress up the league and we're becoming more dangerous as some of their top six colleagues, they're going to find ways to, uh, to wind him up. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit worried about that. I mean, I'm not sure whether Stellini was still talking to um, Conte Maybe they concocted this kind of uh, uh, thing with regard to Graham Potter's team and things like that as some way of getting into uh, Deserby's head. And if it, if that was what triggered Deserby, then obviously it works. You also <laughs> some comments about when they were playing against the Arisley as well, apparently. 
when he was uh, when Deserby was playing against him and how he was he was like he made some sort of comment around that as well. It it shows a lack of class from my point of view. And I mean, yeah. this is a man who has been banned from football for match fixing. Mm. So you know that's not a, an allegation; that's a fact. He has literally been banned from football from match fixing. So he has absolutely no moral high ground like that. He's just a, a nasty piece of work, and he should yeah. butt out but, basically. But but as but, but as we move on, you're going to get characters. I mean, Pep's going to get find a way, if, or um, Pep's going to find a way of getting getting it to Zerbi, maybe. T- Ten Hag may have a little go before the semi-final. I've already picked up something that's uh, where um, Roy Keane's had a little pop at the Albion. Um, you know, has he? Roy Keane, yeah, yeah he made yeah. some point about about them playing small clubs or a small club in the semi-final. Yeah, there was there was something there was a discussion uh, the other day, and basically was, they were talking about uh, uh, United preparing for things, and they were saying that you know, they should just focus on the next game, and they shouldn't worry about the, 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 the semi-final when we're going to be playing a lesser team. I don't see people like Pep and Ten Hag doing that. It shows a lack of class. They're, they're, they're probably better than him. He's just a, he's just because he hasn't basically got any clue what he's doing, effectively. I mean, he basically managed a team with that quality and should have lost comfortably to a team who cost significantly less. He yeah. obviously hasn't got a clue what he's doing. I don't think people like Guardiola and and Klopp and Ten Hag will lower themselves to that sort of base. I'm, level. Not, I'm not. I'm not sure though, Peter, because they do do it. Some of the bigger clubs they do 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 it. They they wind up Klopp when it. Pep has wound up Klopp before pre-match before because obviously he saw them as a threat. And I think as we move up the table, I think other managers will see it. I mean. I'll, you know, I can see Emery maybe having a few little pops for now and again. Uh, yeah, we, we just up need to, the end to of the find season. a way to play the game, don't we? You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I think you've just got to be clever with that. I think yeah, that's, that's, what, I'm worried, that, that's what I'm worried about. It's the fact that, you know, if they see a react, they see if they can get a reaction from him, then they will do it. And uh, Roy Keane is just an edgy gnome. That's all he is. There's nothing more than that, nothing less. You know, he, he can say what he wants, he can have all his opinions, but he's just an edgy gnome who, um, Likes to be violent at the wrong moments, and I think his opinions. He, he could be funny on occasion, but he's just a, a bit of a pathetic figure for me, to be honest with you. I think he's a, a bit of a caricature of, of himself. He can be funny, admittedly, but there we go. But let, listen, they they can do what they want. They can say what they want. I, in my mind, I think the Albion go into the Chelsea game full of absolute fire. I think we're going to beat them 4-1. 3 <laughs> 1 or 4-1. I think we're just going to be so furious about that result. And the big club bias probably won't apply in this game because Chelsea are so far down. There's no point in having bias for Chelsea, is there? And then we've got the semi-final and we'll we'll see what happens. But anyway, we're digressing. The touchline yeah. factor. Um Stellini, this is a guy who was banned for two and a half years for match fixing in Italy. And very recently, they dismissed their director of football. Um, is it Paratini? I think it's called something like that. Who was involved with Juventus? I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's been given a two-year, is it, worldwide ban on yeah. dealing with transfers and agents on the basis of his involvement with Juventus. And that's the guy Spurs had as director of football until about a week or two ago. And Stellini has been banned from football in the past for two and a half years for match fixing. These guys, for the very, very least, should not be moralising about anything whatsoever. I'm just 
leaving that in there. I'm not suggesting it's anything to do yeah. with Saturday at all. I'll just leave you with something. Uh, I, I challenge you to this. Uh, have a look at Stellini, still of Stellini, and then put, put, put alongside him a picture of uh, Harry Kane, and I think you'll see a little bit of it. I like this between the two. I think Stellini, I think Stellini looks like a, a, an elderly version of uh, Kane. An elderly Italian version of Kane. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, God, that's, <laughs> I can't get that. Vivid. I'll just leave that one there. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, right. Okay, really Moving on. <laughs> moving, moving very swiftly on because I need to try and sleep tonight later. And you've probably ruined it for me, Alan. Um, the myth of a penalty, we've talked about it quite a bit already. So the ball come, uh, well, he, he won the corner. We took the corner. Uh, he's there with Hoiberg, who'd potentially had three, maybe four bookable offences during the game. Then fouls Mittimer. He puts his foot on his on his foot as he's trying to raise his foot up to continue moving to where the ball is that he's just touched off. And it's quite clearly a penalty. I don't think there's any debate whatsoever. Hoiberg, you mentioned, someone mentioned Hoiberg's um, histrionics to go, well, no, I didn't do anything wrong. But that only came after, if you watch it again, you'll see that there was very clear body language. There were two or three degrees of realisation followed by trying to style it out kind of motions where it was very clear that he knew he caught Mittimer, he knew it was a penalty and he knew there was a chance he'd get away with it but he wasn't quite sure and he had a a look of worry in his eyes that's what happened before he started doing nothing nothing gestures um clearly it was a penalty um nothing came of it that was the one that everyone's fussed about that's the one that Howard Webb has apologised for. It's one of eight offences, at least six anyway, that he should be apologising for. It was the only one he did apologise for. It was the most clear cut of all offences. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I'd rather Webb hadn't said nothing, to be honest. If he's going to insult us by apologising for one instance, he should have kept his mouth shut. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind him apologising. I think it's, it's more respectful to apologise than not. But as you said, if he's only apologising for one, he's isolating one incident and apologising for it, that is almost like a kick in the face, isn't it? Exactly. And it, and it's uh, it's ironic because they very rarely, you normally get apologies like the ones we got against Palace and Arsenal got against Brentford because they factually draw a line in the wrong place or do something stupid like that. But this was a subjective one. It wasn't subjective. It was clearly a penalty. But it was in a sense of, is it a foul or not? And they actually apologised. And that shows you how a bad decision it was. I mean, I don't understand. VAR seems to really rush the decision. It didn't really kind of take long over it. If you look, it takes one replay to look at it and see. I don't care how clear Atwell is that it wasn't a penalty when he he throws his hands out or that sort of thing. Just one replay would say, "Go to the go to the screen, Stuart. Go to the screen. You are wrong. This is clearly a penalty." He, he loves his exaggerated gestures, doesn't he? He doesn't get Atwell. anywhere near the ball. He steps on his foot. It's it's incomprehensible that that between those people, one of whom is six yards away and the other whom has a benefit of constant, as many replays as they need, these people can't work out. There's a penalty. I just, it's, it's completely illogical. And it's, yeah. And at that point, even if you ignore all the other bad decisions, if we get that decision, we have a penalty to go 2-1 up and it changes the game. And generally, um, you know, kind of, to be fair to it, McAllister's has been really good with penalties, so the odds are he scores. We're two one up. Different game. Alan, um, even the most deluded Spurs fan would admit, and 
even the most deluded fans that I know have admitted that that was a penalty. As Peter says, we're 2-1 up, aren't we? Assuming he scores, and we are on a pretty good vibe of scoring penalties, to be fair to us, it hasn't always been the case, but recently it has been. We're very, very likely to have gone 2-1 up there, aren't we? And we, this well, is... we, came, we came out of the second half the same way as the games in the first half. Yeah. Related to the game, we were on the front foot. Uh, yeah. I, was expect, I was expecting us to score an early goal, actually. It took us a little bit longer. Uh, but we did it. Well, we scored the even Macallis goal on this one. I mean, uh, as as you said, Atwell had an ex- a- extremely good view, uh, and he should have been told to go to the monitor. And that's uh, and that's, as I said early on in the on the pod, I really would like to understand, get get a kind of a text of what what uh, what kind of discussion they're having with Howard Webb and Atwell, and then what Howard had, Howard Webb has with the VIR. Really I really want to understand what. Yeah, he's going to ask Atwell, what what was going through your mind? What did you not see that we can see, that Jess Jenning could see immediately? Like everybody else could see immediately. What what didn't you see from your view? Why did you make that decision? And then ask the same question to VAR, because now they've had the luxury of uh, seeing it in slow-mo as well. And uh, I'll be really interested to to see uh, see the minutes of that meeting. Yep. Yeah, I've no idea what the club get along with their apology. I mean, the suggestion is that they've asked to go back and review the other incidents as well. But then there was a piece from Paul Barber today saying we need to move on effectively. It's like, well, last time when Arsenal had it against Brentford, they went absolute, Arteta went mad in public and had a real go at them. While we, we were passive after the Palace one and didn't really make any sort of comment, but it barely did. Then next week, we get a dreadful reverie against Fulham, who then goes and sends Deserby off for complaining about something after the game. And it's like, well, what's the bloody point in the whole apology if you're just going to be dreadful again next week? It's literally pointless, you know, uh, you know, kind of make a mistake, apologise, you know, kind of come back again and do the same mistakes again. Because they said it's 11 times that referee, they've apologised for referees in the Premier League this season, and we've had three of them, which is like more, more than a quarter of the times that they, we, referee, the, they've had to apologise about referee decisions have been involving Albion this season. And that's the league games. There's also the one yeah. in the cup, as you said earlier. As well, yeah. And that ignores the blatant power at Leicester, you know, which was clearly a penalty and cost us two points. And the, and the blatant one they, they missed against Brentford when it was clearly at his arm out. And, you know, and other ones we've had this season. And man, you ones that could have cost us if we've not held on. You know, there's so many dreadful decisions. And refereeing is getting so much worse in this country. Since we've been in Premier League, it's got a lot worse. And I don't know where we go from here because... You know, you, you say that, you know, even if they banned Salisbury and Atwell for a couple of games and said, put them off the list, you've got dreadful ones to come. I mean, Kavanaugh at the weekend is probably the worst a lot, in my view. Or if he's not the worst two or three, he's on VAR. And Joe, I think Joe, Mike Jones, I don't really know much about him, he's the referee. But Kavanaugh is dreadful. It's like, well, so that, how, how many referees do we actually have faith about in the Premier League? And what's it matter? You know, you change the referees, that means nothing to us. We're, we are, according to the club, 11 points shy my calculation's nine points shy of where we should be in terms of points total. Those points aren't coming back in any way or form. In my opinion, if there's any justice, we would have those points awarded, whether you take them away from the other clubs affected or not. That's never, ever going to happen. And as we've discussed on the WhatsApp group, it never should happen because that just really soils the whole competition. It cheapens everything. It ruins everything. And yet, I cannot help thinking 
we, we just have to sit there and take it. We, we, we just have apologies. What do we do? Frame them, put them on the wall? Great, fantastic. Howard Webb apologised for mistakes. He acknowledged were made. That means nothing to us. We are 11 points, according to the club, yeah. nine points from my calculations, away from where we should be. We should be in the Champions League places based on those points totals, deprived points totals. And we are so far away from it now. It's ruined it. Whatever we do now, it, we tend to boss games. We tend to be the better side in games. We only win games when we deserve to. There's no way we're going to have that swing back in, what, a third, a fifth, a fourth of the season left to go, even if we had favourable decisions. They're probably in games we would have won anyway. We, I, we, I know. Yeah, we I, I know. We've been deprived. It, we, we will be deprived of points. Yeah. No, but if he, I know it's all, I know it's all if, if buts and maybes with those 11 points, we'd be basically we'd be what three points ahead of United and Newcastle, no, four points ahead of four points ahead of Newcastle and Manchester United with a game in hand on them. Yeah, so yeah. we'd be in third, a very clear and solid third position. Yeah, and I don't know the other teams whether they've been ripped off for decisions. Maybe we have to take that into account, but we're going to be there or thereabouts for a Champions League place if we had. Not not favourable decisions, fair decisions. And to me, that, that angers me because we work so damn hard yeah. to come back from the brink, to survive at all. But not only that, to work it to our advantage over a number of years to get to the stage we're at now. On and off the pitch, in the community work, with the training, with the stadium, with the academy, with the first team, with all the under-23s, the way we've organised everything to our advantage. It's hard work. It's getting a lot of things right. It's perseverance. It's patience. And we've had to tolerate so much. And then to have to tolerate so much more is just infuriating. I, I, I can't stand it. I can't stand it, I have to say. That's I'm just so angry. We already have don't have a level playing field where we're competing at the moment with the teams yeah. around us. They have so much more money, so much more. But what you expect is a fair go on the day. Whether you know, we accept that we've got a lot less money than all this, these teams and that sort of thing. That's fine, and you can't do anything about that. It's, it's the way football is these days. But what you expect is a fair, you know, a fair yeah. go. Eleven against eleven on any day, anyone can beat anyone. And on Saturday, we did not have that because we beat Tottenham, and they did, but they got the result because of the officials. Yeah, we won that game. We yeah. won that game, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And the plastic pound, as you, you've, you've alluded to there, Peter, you know, the, the, the levels of global scale of tourist football fans, you know, I, I'm not scornful about them being interested, but what, what irritates me is the levels of de- the degrees of extra advantage that the bigger clubs have through global sales of shirts and merchandise and the general profile and what sponsorship can then attract through that gives them a massive advantage already. They don't need the advantage of massively unfair refereeing decisions, officiating decisions. It's it's disgusting, isn't it? Well I think I think uh I mean we haven't we haven't discussed the other goals, but just to really start, I mean if you look if I, when you listen to someone like Roy Keane, for example, I'm going back to him and he, he kind of he, he he talks about the power of Manchester United. Oh we're they're a huge club you know, and he, and he kind of takes a view that, you know, we're so big that, you know, nobody should be getting anywhere near us. 
But how many of the United players would we want in their side would we take? But Tomaty is first on the list of not being on the list. <laughs> you know, uh, at the end of the day, the last two games we've beaten them. Well, the next game as well, Alan. The next yeah, game. Yeah, so and then we've got the semi finals to come. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's just it is really frustrating. And, and also, you know, that this is the Tottenham game was the, the, the third third game in, in seven days. We had a tough game against Bet Brentford, which we should have won. Yeah. We then went, went away to home for another tough game against Brentford, and we and we did we did well. We obviously uh, McAllister, Bournemouth, sorry, and then McAllister and, and Caicedo came off early with uh, you know little niggly injuries, but they got back, they recovered, and deserved to be prepared their team with the right tactics, and we were by far the better team against Tottenham. And it's a real shame that it turned out in this way. Because we should yeah, have... It's just so frustrating. I'm, I'm, more, I'm just so frustrated about that because, you know, we had, a, we, had a, we had a sequence of games where potentially at the end of that seven days, we'd have had seven points from three games. And two of, those games were, two of those games were away from home. You should have done. So yeah. if you talk about, if you say two points a game as a par and, uh, you know, you get one point away from home and three points at home, Basically, you're above par with seven points, and we've got walked away only with four points. Well, let's quickly go through the rest of it. So, Hoiberg then fouled McAllister and provoked him verbally, resulting in a free kick. One of several potential yellow card offences he escaped, by the way. Uh, That free kick then led to the dunk penalty claim. The ball was put into the box, dunk ran onto it. He was in the right trajectory. Uh, but he was pulled back, and in the um, in the play, Hoiberg then finally gets a yellow card for pulling back Mac in the immediate aftermath. Finally, he got a yellow card, but that's not neither here nor there. We should have had a penalty before that, shouldn't we? Dunk was pulled back with both arms by the defender Lamne as well, ironically, who'd been claiming that uh, Mitterma had handballed it, even though he was the main handball expert earlier in the first half. And yet there he was again complaining, and um, we didn't get the decision. And then we, then we had... Uh, and again, yeah. that was right in front of the referee as well. Yeah. He, can, he, yeah. can't, he couldn't have had a better view. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we said earlier, I'm inclined to say that, you know, sometimes these things happen inside the box. But when you literally hold on to someone with two hands onto their shirt, that is a penalty. I mean, otherwise, what's the point in having a foul? And you might as well just let them get away with anything in the box, mightn't you? Yeah, any of this that, anywhere else on the give, pitch then doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. What, what, what do you is it give if that's not a penalty? You yes. know, it's like, well, at what point do you get a penalty from a corner? I imagine we'll probably find out when VAR gives a penalty to Chelsea at the weekend for one of our players breathing near one of theirs or something. But <laughs> You cynic, Peter. You cynic. Oh, I'm really expecting to be on the same conversation in the next two weeks. Chelsea may not be a mid-table, but maybe mid-table, they're still big six, and I guarantee you United will get at least one call against us in the semi, because they always do. Every single game against United they get. Even the one we won, they had three question, three bad calls done by, you know, in their favour. Yeah, still true. Beaten. Well, listen, um, match-fixing veteran Stellini, um, not that I've got any grudges against the man, uh, and you might notice from my uh, my moniker on tonight's Zoom call, yes. that I, I've <laughs> 
great favour for both for him at well and for Salisbury. Um, Post match on match of the day, he was interviewed and he was asked if they were lucky to win. And very straight laced, straight laced, that face that no even a, even a mother couldn't love said no. We were strong against one of the best teams in the division, but at least there's a compliment in there. Um, and we created a lot of chances. We created the best chances. Now, which game was that? Because it wasn't the one I saw. Well, XG doesn't say that for starters, and that doesn't even include the the two disallowed goals XG as well. We had double their XG, I think it was, and didn't include the two disallowed goals. And obviously also the chance we could have had it wasn't for the fouls in the penalty area as well. So he's Yeah, but apart crap. from that, Peter. He's talking crap, I think. I, I cannot stand Stellini. I, I think he's he represents everything I hate about, um, well, football, life in general, whatever. I can't stand the bloke. Uh, anyway, really, anyone who doesn't like the Zerbi, as far as I'm concerned, is a wanker, so... <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I mean, he wound, he wound the Zerbi up, not in a successful way, I don't think, because I don't think that really benefited him in any way. I think he's a pathetic individual. He's playing the same brand of football as Conte. There's no point in being there. All the Spurs fans I've spoken to were, to put it very bluntly, very unimpressed with with how things have gone since then. And he's got he's got a record for match fixing. Why is he in charge of a major English football club? We've not mentioned that before, though. If only we'd done. If only we'd done so. Yeah. He's obviously not a very good tactician because I mean we absolutely dominated them, and yeah, I mean if it it took literally five refereeing decisions. Well, we already mentioned Perisic on Grosh, which was also a, a should have been a red card, um, and he, he got away with it. So if it wasn't for six refereeing decisions, they'd have lost quite comfortably. It, it's taken the most. I mean, I've never known a game where you know you get the odd get your games where one or two are wrong and that sort of thing, but where five slash six decisions have gone controversially against one team is unheard of. And this is why you know, Spurs fans are like, oh, we had a penalty against Lampton, we should have done this, should have done that. This is why it's being talked about, because it isn't one decision. It's so many decisions, and pretty much all of them were wrong. And they got, I mean, I know Howard Webb's only admitted to one, but the reality is that they got five or six big decisions wrong and all against us. Well, there we go. At, the, at the end of the day, in, in, in the press conference before the match, Pre-match conference. Um, Deserby was asked the question by one of the reporters, uh, you know, how are you going to contain uh, Harry Kane? And basically, uh, Deserby said, by keeping the ball. Yeah. Which, which is what we did. We kept the ball. Yeah. We, we, Kane. we, we, he, Kane had one chance and he's a fantastic player. Yeah. In terms so he of, scored he, it. He, yeah. And yeah. he scored it. I mean, he was given one chance, but essentially that, that goal should have been a consolation goal. Yeah, we should have been so far ahead that would no, have been a five-two win, Alan. And basically, he would have, he would have chalked that up as another goal for his his, his record. Uh, and uh, but it would have been a consolation goal. That that that's, that would have been it because before then we completely contained him and and Deserby had done what he said, which was we we we're going to keep keep the ball and keep it away from him. Yeah, which we did. And the only other the other only other occasion they had, as we said, was Stone's fantastic strike, which nobody that was a well. World class strike. Well, all three goals Fantastic. were well taken, and, uh, and, and, the, and then the other chance was Perisic, but that was that was save, that was a savable shot. Yeah, and, and Steele saved it. 
What's I would that argue mess? that those are the only two players you from Tottenham that you currently put in the Albion side. Yeah. Yeah. And my point I was, I was going to make was Perisic should have gone. He went in two-footed on Grosh. His arse landed on the ground before his studs did, which tells you all we need to know. Uh, that should have been a red card, 100%. Hoiberg could have had four yellows. Romero is a shithouser. Kane with his usual bullshit as well. What a objectionable club they are in every way. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I just want to round off this episode <laughs> with a couple of other sum-ups. Very quickly, to lighten the mood, can I just say, a couple of weeks ago, Luke Shaw signed a new four-year deal at Man United. Woohoo, well played for him. Uh, he, he was quoted as saying, I've grown immensely in the years I've been here at Man United. Physically, I agree yes. with him, he has. <laughs> but not in the way that he means. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I can now I can now myself. I thought that was hilarious. The Bournemouth game. We haven't talked about the Bournemouth game on the podcast. We've got to go through it very briefly, just to say, fantastic game uh, in terms of the result and in terms of getting the job done. It wasn't the greatest game from a footballing point of view, but it was it was one of those cut and thrust games where we just had we had to edge it, didn't we? And we did. And Ferguson's first goal was superb. He's done it before for the under-17s for Ireland. He's done it before, apparently, in Ireland for his club side back in the day when he was about 15. He's done it again uh, last week on, on Tuesday. Uh, what, a, what a player. Beautiful goal, well taken. It was lovely, wasn't it? Uh, that led to um, stats showing on the BBC saying that Erling Haaland has the greatest goal impact stats, which means goals and assists, uh, every 64 minutes, Erling Haaland is involved in a goal. Every 90 minutes, second on the list, Evan Ferguson. Followed by Firmino on 93, and then Isak, Nacho, Harry Kane, and Phil Foden. He's efficient. He's good. He's brilliant, isn't he? Uh, he came on as a sub in the 69th minute on Saturday. Couldn't have an effect on the game, but what a, what a brilliant talent. We've, we've got to be celebrating that. And secondly, the win was great because Bournemouth, how many times have we won away at Bournemouth apart from that cup match? Not very often. Not in the Premier League, we haven't. Um, and yeah, I know we're sort of only glossing over it now, but but yeah, that was a that was a really good that was a really good result. And Bournemouth are playing well right now. They're on a no. little bit of a roll. I rate uh, them. I think they're actually quite so good. I think I think they. I think they've improved since the transfer window. I thought they gave us a good game at the Amex. Um, they made it very. We, yeah, we had to work very hard to win that, and that was because Bournemouth made us work hard. I thought so. Fair play to them for that. And again, um, they gave us a game at their place as well. We we, we withstood some pressure. Um, we exerted plenty ourselves. I thought you know. I thought still made some good saves before we made Neto make some good saves. Yeah. Um, but we scored two excellent, high-quality goals from two very exciting young players. Um, and I just thought good character, good discipline, good mental discipline, the way we saw that game out, I thought was I thought was excellent. Um which makes you know, which makes the Sat you know, Saturday's result all the more frustrating because yeah, we could have maybe got seven points out of that week and we've only got four. Uh and that's you know, it's a yeah, that's a quite that's a big blow. Um but you know, it is what it is. Hmm. We yeah, we go again, we've got Chelsea, Chelsea Saturday. 
And who and who knows now? I mean, my over my overriding thought from this debacle on Saturday is that I just have no confidence in the officials now. Whether whether that's a fair opinion on my part or not, it's just the way I feel. It's just like I'm not going to be celebrating a goal in the same manner that I normally do because because I'm just frightened. It's just going to be disallowed. You know, um, you just don't have any confidence. And I think that's really been the worst thing now. Because, like, you know, officials do have a tough job to do. But when you have games like that, how can fans not lose confidence? Yeah. How can fans not lose confidence in in the officials? You know, say, oh, you're just having a go at referees. Like, look. Look at those decisions. They're not even, they're not questionable. They're not marginable, marginal. They're pretty obvious. They are clear and obvious. I hate that phrase, by the way, but they are clear and obvious. And we've suffered as a result. And you're telling me not to be upset about it. Well, you can go and do one. I'm going to be upset about it. Hmm. And I reserve the right to be upset about it. Forevermore. Yeah. No, I agree with you. If you lose confidence in the system, in the very integrity of the fabric of football um, structure, then you, you, it's, a, it's a horrible state of affairs, but I think it's, a, it's one that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, going, going back to Evan, just very quickly, can I just say as well, um, after the Bournemouth game, he was on four goals in the Premier League, seven overall, from 11 Premier League games, which was twice as many as any other teenage goal scorers in the Premier League this season, which is basically Gnonto of Leeds, Gonacho of Man United with two each, and other, other people on one. He's, he scored four goals in 11 games in the Premier League at the age of 18 years and 168 days. This was after the Bournemouth game. Obviously a bit more now. Um He's done brilliantly, hasn't he? What a talent, superb. Peter, I know you've got to go, so I'll say goodbye to you. And as we wrap up, just on the final words, thank you, Peter, by the way. Um, can I just say, um, Leicester, a departed company with Brenda Rogers. Uh, Mick McCarthy's left Blackburn, uh, Blackpool, sorry. And uh, Paul Lintz has been sacked at Reading. Apparently, Deserby is number 52, I think it is in the list of longest-serving managers. That's insane. Um, Leicester lost Rodgers a couple of weeks ago. To be honest with you, any any club who plays goal mu- music deserves to go down, and I think they are going down. I think they're really struggling this season. Um, the Bournemouth game was the first top-flight win at Dean Court, by the way, just for anyone that doesn't know. And we had 59 goals in 27 games. That was before Tottenham. So that's now, well, including the penalty conversions. <laughs> was that 64 goals we've scored now, Andy? Well, it's a lot. But, I mean, we finally, we've comfortably broken the 50 league goals um, total, which I'm delighted about. So that's been a long-held pre-match, pre-season prediction for me, for many years. So, uh, yeah, we're going to finish with a positive goal difference this, this year as well, which is going to be great. But absolutely, still plenty, plenty, still plenty to play for. I think yep. fifth, fifth spot is still up for grabs. 
think Spurs are still catchable. Um, yeah, definitely. So, knowing Villa have gone ahead of us, but yeah, we've got two games in hand on them, and we play them. I mean, if you know, if we fall behind Villa, I think Villa have been excellent. But like, you can't argue with that run. Um, so it's up to us to match it, and you know, it's up to us to get the results. Unfortunately, we did get the result on Saturday, but. It was robbed. That's what the frustrating thing. So we're going yeah, to we to, did and we didn't. We're going to have to score ten on Saturday, and we might get a two-one win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got to think of, yeah. We've got to think of positive. By the end of by the end of April, we could have beaten Chelsea. We could have beaten Forest in the league with another six points, and then uh, we we could be into the final of the, of the yeah. FA Cup. Yeah, so and that's the way. That's the way we've got to look at it. Moving forward, the games are winnable, aren't they? <clears throat> yeah, and and the and the players can't have these victimhood. Situation. I'm sure Deserby won't uh, get them into that mind. I mean, right. us as fans, us as fans, we could moan and moan like hell about uh, yeah, what's been going on. But basically, yeah. uh, the, the players have got to focus on the next game. I know that's a, that's the old cliche. Yeah, exactly. but that's what they've got to do and and put it out of their mind. Uh, we and don't also, want with the sendings off, um, Deserby can appeal that the red cards on the touchline are appealable, and I don't see he did anything wrong. All he did was he was accused of not controlling his. Yeah, I don't think I. I to be honest, I think that's. I think that is a bone that will be thrown in our direction by. Yeah, will be. Yeah, I think. I think they'll they'll rescind both, even though Stellini genuinely didn't do anything to restrain his bench. Whereas I think Deserby was trying to do it from the descriptions of. The, yeah, ironically, yeah, he. But he was more animated, but he was actually... So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's a bone that they can throw us as, as, uh, as you know, as to slightly make up for the rest of the day, Barkle. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just... I I cannot re- recall a game where you had so many game-changing decisions go against a single side and... I, I felt that was a, a new low for football in this country. Yeah, it's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I mean, there's bad refereeing, and then, and then there's that. I mean, it's just it is just obscene what happened. Quite and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the media, the media picked up on it, which is fantastic. I mean, if yeah. you, all they're all on our side. That's ESPN, how bad it is. Uh, yeah, all, yeah, all, all the I think news, it does. I, think, it, I think in a bizarre way, it does put. I think it makes our games really weird, difficult to referee now because mm. our referee is going to give us some like ridiculously bad decisions in our favour to make up for the other ones, which again is not a satisfying. That's that's not what we're after. We're after we're just after the right decisions. I don't I don't want I don't want some you know dodgy decision. I don't want someone relegated because I just you know, we, we, I just want I just want the decisions to be right, but. But this is this is now going to be part of the conversation about our game, especially if there's another controversial moment. Mm. Um, and it, it, you know, yeah, you know, for good or ill, that's that's that is what's going to happen now. I think there, I think there is a might. There's going to be a, you know, a close. You know, our games will be under great scrutiny now because of this, this this match. And it's, you know, if I was an official, I would be. I probably wouldn't want to referee a Brighton game at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. Because, I don't because, to... because you're going to be damned if you do and damned if you don't. I mean... This, this thing about swings and roundabouts and it all evens itself out, that's it, absolute bullshit. It never it's, does. 
probability dictates that won't happen. However, you know, if we get a load of decisions in our favour, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spurn it because I think we, we're eleven, yeah. nine, ten, eleven points shy of where we should be, and we deserve those damn points. And I want them back. Yeah. I want them back, but it's not realistic to assume we get them back. And if we do get them back, whose expense are we getting them back at? You know, at whose expense? It's not going to be the same teams that we were ripped off against. We're not playing Tottenham again. We can't rip them off to get points back. We're not playing Leicester again. We're not. Well, we are playing Villa again, but it's it's not going to be a a fair a fair balance, is it? It never is. That's that's a fallacy. That's a fallacy. But I agree with you, Andy. And in the end, what it what it boils down to is we want them to just officiate properly, fairly. That's what we want, isn't it? That's all we want. Yeah. On, on another note, can I just finally summarise National League? What a great division it's been this year. This year. Wrexham played Notts County. Notts County have had, I believe it's three games a season where they've had 16,000 in the ground. That's better than two two teams in the Premier League. That's incredible. That's, that's incredible. And Wrexham, they get 10,000 sellouts every week. They they were hosting Notts County, an amazing topsy turvy game. One 0 down, two one up. Back to two all, three two up. Last minute penalty. Ben Foster, eight k a week, signed up on loan to Wrexham. Makes one of the best penalty saves I've ever seen. Amazing. He actually saved it with both hands, which was a bit weird. To secure the victory for Wrexham, Wrexham deserve it. I think on the balance of play. There was an interesting post from Jack Phillips, friend of the show, who said, yes, I think County are better technically, but Wrexham play a bit like a Poundland clopside, relentless. And I think, <laughs> which is great. And I think Wrexham, are, um, I've been, uh, for two years, they've been pushing at the door to a degree where it's ridiculous to deprive them. So I think they're pretty much there now. Congratulations to them. What a great div- division. What a great game at the weekend, that 3-2 game. Um, Scunthorpe unfortunately relegated at the other end of the table two years in a row there's some tragic stories here and there let's hope for the best for them but there's all these swings and roundabouts of outrageous fortune that come up don't they Um, we just enjoy the, the, the good stuff the bad stuff and the ugly stuff but football's great isn't it in general it wasn't good on Saturday but generally it is isn't it boys yeah, so yeah. hopefully some good stuff to come yet. Exactly. Yeah. On that note, let's sign out, shall we? So, Alan, Andy, stand or fall. Of the, the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.